I'm going to read again verses one and two. We just wrapped through them, but I want us to hear them, and then I'll pray for us. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. This is what we'll focus on today. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for calling us together as your church. Thank you for the people of Inglewood Presbyterian and their many years of faithfulness here on Finn Hill and beyond. Thank you for calling Bethany together and for bringing us into these shared spaces of mastery. Uh, bless now uh, the reading and hearing of your word. May the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we're focusing on Jesus and justice. We're focusing on the church's call to be a people of race, of racial reconciliation, justice, and healing. That's a high calling. And I know for a lot of people in Bethany's congregation, and I'm sure this is true at Inglewood as well, we care deeply about this. We believe this is essential to the identity of the church, to the calling of the church. But I want to just emphasize for anybody who's listening this morning, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this calling to step into the work of racial healing, and it's a long-term calling, is part of what you are called to do as well. And if you don't think you can make a difference in that, let me just share a very brief story that I learned about just last year from the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, who we celebrate uh, this weekend. Uh, back in 1958, so before the I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King was signing copies of his book at a bookstore in Harlem in New York City. And you may have heard of this incident. This was in 1958. A, a woman who uh, later was found to have uh, quite a few uh, mental illnesses uh, ran into the book signing and uh, took a letter opener and plunged it into Dr. King's chest right above his heart. And everybody was just shocked and stunned and security people ran in and the New York City Police Department was called and a young black officer named Officer Al Howard was called to the scene. Officer Howard and his partner arrived and they see the 29-year-old Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King sitting as still as a stone, very much alive, but sitting perfectly still in a chair in the back room of the department store. The store had been cleared out. There were thousands of people standing out on the street waiting to come and see Dr. King. They knew he was there. They wanted to see him, but they couldn't see him. They didn't know what was going on. And so Officer Howard took charge as a young black officer in the New York Police Department. And he said, okay, I'm gonna send my partner out to the front to control the crowd. And I'm gonna escort Dr. King out through the back. And before he could do that, someone said, hey, we should get the letter opener out of his chest. And Officer Howard, no kidding, stuck his hand in there and intervened and said, don't do that. If you pull that out, you risk his life. Come to find out later at Harlem Hospital, the doctors agreed with Officer Howard's assessment. That letter opener was right next to Dr. King's aorta. It was literally sitting on top of his aorta. It was a millimeter from ending his life. So Dr. King was ushered out of the back. He was taken directly to Harlem Hospital. And as an officer of the law, Officer Al Howard went about the rest of his days. He served a long career in the New York City Police Department. He went on to open up a jazz club in Harlem. And earlier this year, he was remembered, that's why this article was in the New York Times, 
as he was one of thousands of people who sadly lost their life uh, to COVID-19. Dr. King reflected on this moment where a man rescued his life literally by a millimeter. He wrote this later on. It came out in the New York Times that if I had sneezed, this is Dr. King writing this, if I had sneezed, I would have died. He repeated the phrase over and over, if I had sneezed while naming the civil rights milestones he'd accomplished since then. Remember, this was in 1958. The lunch counter sit-ins, the bus sit-in, the march in Selma, the I have a dream speech. And then Dr. King concluded, I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze. If you believe that you do not have a part to play work of racial reconciliation, think about this. Dr. Officer Al Howard saved a man's life by protecting that millimeter of space, that smallest of spaces between that letter opener and Dr. King's aorta. And if he hadn't, Dr. King literally would have been killed in an instant. So if you don't believe that there is something for you to do, let me assure you, Officer Al Howard knew the man that he spoke to was a big deal, but he had no idea the things that Dr. King would go on to do. He had no idea that he was playing a part in this grand narrative of moving the ball forward in race and racial reconciliation. And I believe every one of us who's listening this morning, every person who is part of a church in the 21st century that is teaching the scriptures, that loves Jesus Christ, you are called to that millimeter of space where you too can make a difference, where you too can affect change, where you can step in to a critical situation and de-escalate it. You can take online speech to a better place, not a worse place. You too can move something forward, even if it is just seemingly a millimeter, because it will change lives, because it will protect the lives of others, because it will bring the kind of racial healing that our country and our world desperately need. Galatians 3.28 is kind of our cornerstone verse for the worst, for the work of racial justice. All people are equal in Jesus Christ. In Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, male or female, slave or free. Everybody is one in Jesus Christ. Therefore, anything antithetical to that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And the problem we face today is that the quest that Dr. King was on is not yet done. It's not. 60 years later, 50 years later from some of his greatest moments, white Christians, white churches, we continue to wrestle with this. I'm speaking to all Christians this morning, but I, I serve predominantly, have served predominantly in white spaces, so I want to speak directly to that. We are called not to be silent and not to be complicit, but to step out in faith and to seek this thing we're talking about today called shalom. Shalom. Will you say that with me wherever you are? Shalom. That is the Hebrew word for peace, but it means more than that. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I believe this is something that Dr. King loved and something that was a cornerstone to his ministry. And it is something that we need to continue to pursue together as the people of God in the year 2021. So we're going to talk about shalom in three different parts. We're going to talk about the definition of shalom, which we talked about last week. We're going to kind of recap that briefly. We're going to talk about where this idea of shalom is in the text today in Romans 5, and then we're going to connect that to this calling to pursue God's glory. Okay, so let's begin with just recapping very briefly. What are we talking about when we talk about shalom? Shalom, we talked about last week, one of the many examples of it. There's over 240 examples of the word shalom in the Old Testament, one of the most important themes in all of scripture. In Numbers chapter 6, Moses leads the priests of Israel 
to learn how to bless and serve others through this lens of peace. It's a blessing you may have heard before if you've been in church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace. That word peace is shalom. And it doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. Our English word peace, we too often associate it with, you know, the peace treaty that was signed after a war or peace in a neighborhood that has historically been marked by violence. Those are important things, but shalom goes deeper. Shalom is wholeness. It is completion. It is being made right fully and completely. The image we used last week, which we borrowed from the Bible Project's video on shalom, which I would encourage you to watch on your own time, is of a brick wall that has pieces missing, bricks are missing, the mortar is not put together right, one part of the wall is kind of crumbling. And so the work of Shalom is to pick up a brick and put it into the wall and put some mortar over here and make sure everything gets fit back in place. That is the work of Shalom. So we've learned that Shalom is wholeness and completion, that's part one. Part two is Shalom is a gift. This is said both in the Numbers passage, and then Jesus says this again in John chapter 14. He's talking to his disciples before he, earned, he goes to the cross, and he says to them, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I will give you my peace. The Greek word that he is using there is erene. Say that with me, erene. That is kind of the New Testament equivalent of the word shalom. And what's so important to remember about that is that's peace that is unearned. You cannot achieve shalom. You must receive it. It is given as a gift from God. And the final thing we need to remember about shalom is it is a lifelong pursuit that is the calling of the church. It's a process that takes a really long time. Later on in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 14, you need to put together the things of peace. You church, you have a part to play in assembling this great work that is peace, that is shalom. The way I kind of picture it in my head is if I'm going to cook something, if I'm going to make barbecue for my family, I'm going to get all my spices out. I'm going to put them out on my counter. I'm going to start adding them into my bowl. And then I'm going to make some really good barbecue because I make good barbecue. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying the truth. We need to assemble the pieces of peace. Therefore, in the church, as we talk about racial healing, as we talk about justice, we are not doing these things to make ourselves look good. We are doing these things, no, because we are called to, and because it takes a long time, we got to hang in there. It's a process. And there is no place in the church for words or deeds or symbols that are antithetical to the work of peace. There is no room in the church for white supremacy. There is no room in the church for racism. There is no room in the church for divisiveness and violence and rioting and mobs. In the church, we do not affiliate our symbols with things that are divisive. Instead, we say, this is our calling to be a people of Shalom, and we're going to work on it together. So that's kind of the overview of Shalom. Now let's talk about where we see this idea in the text. Look back with me at verse one of the passage that we wrapped together, by the way. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have what, church? We have peace with God. Say it with me. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that Greek word, erene, roll the R's. It feels kind of fun to say it. It means tranquility, unity, blessing. Why would the Apostle Paul be saying to this group of people, you need to be a people of peace? Think about where they were located. Paul's writing this letter to a church that he helped plant in the city of Rome. The Roman Empire 
in the ancient days was the greatest empire the world had ever seen. Nobody could take down Rome. Nobody could fight Rome. And the seat of power in Rome, in the Roman Empire, was Rome. And what do we know about ancient Rome? Oh, man, it was the center of the universe. It was the zenith of Roman civilization. It was cosmopolitan as the day is long. There was so much wealth and opulence, beautiful buildings, crazy stuff to go watch, like the gladiator contests. It was a pluralistic context where there were different temples for worshiping different gods. There was this fledgling group of Christians that were emerging in the community. It was a seat of power. People got injuries to their arms, patting themselves on the back all the time for the work that they had done to create this glorious place called Rome. And guess what Rome was founded upon? Violence and bloodshed and oppression. You know who was thrown into the ring in the Colosseum? You know who provided entertainment for the wealthy elites in Rome? It was not their people. It was not people who looked like them. No, 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 no. It was the Christians. It was people from other nations. It was slaves. It was people who were considered to have no value whatsoever. And so if the Colosseum is a microcosm for the whole of Roman culture, Roman culture was built upon oppression and violence and the blood of others who were not in that elite ruling class. And in the midst of this, a small, sturdy group of people got together and said, you know what, this is wrong. And we need to be the people that God has called us to be. And that means we cannot look down at slaves. That means we cannot own slaves. That means we will not participate in this evil that is slavery. And the Christians lived a different way of life. The Christians took care of the poor. The Christians brought people in who were left to die. The Christians took care of others, not because they were perfect, but because they were seeking a different end game. And that's where we make the transition to talk about glory. Apostle Paul tells us in verse two, the whole point of this is glory for God. The point of this, this work of being together in the church, the point that we're making today about racial reconciliation, the point of this is not to get approval from others. Oh, forget it. That is the slipperiest slope you will ever find yourself upon. No, this work of being the people of God, it is about the glory of God. Listen to this in verse chapter two or excuse me, in verse two, we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God, of presenting that glory to others. What is the glory of God? It is incredible. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite uh, philosophers, puts it this way, glory is the magnificent outpouring of the radiant splendor of God's power, strength, beauty, and goodness. Glory constantly fills the universe. It permeates all of God's creation and it substantiates the kingdom of heaven. It is fully reflected in the person of Jesus, and it is accessible to our participation in it through adoration of Jesus and obedience to him. Think of that scene in the New Testament where Jesus is transfigured. He's lifted up in front of the disciples, and his face is glowing, and he's radiant. That is a glimpse of the glory of God. And do any of the disciples standing around in that moment pat themselves on the back and go, Oh, I'm so glad that we saw this. I, I, I can get credit for sort of live streaming this on Facebook. I'm so glad people can see this. No, they focus on the fact that this is Jesus, the one who animates and brings glory into God's kingdom. And so whenever we are working in racial reconciliation, whenever we're trying to understand, and I'm speaking again predominantly to white Christians, because that's what I am, a white Christian. 
we need to be able to speak about God's glory in such a way that shows that that is our intrinsic motivation, not to get likes on Facebook, not to have people try to come to our church. No, 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 no. We will fail if those are the things that we are about. The conclusion, the end game of seeking justice is the glory of God. Jesus agrees with this in John chapter five. He's instructing his disciples on how to do ministry and life together. And he says explicitly, clearly, simply, every translation puts it very similar to what I'm about to read to you. It's a pretty unambiguous statement. And Jesus is so kind to say this. He says, I do not accept glory from human beings. I do not accept it. Like we don't take American Express. I do not accept glory from human beings. Neither should you church. Neither should you. It's nice when people say, oh, cool, your church, you know, you've got a friendship with a a black church down in the South End. That's awesome. That's great. Yes. And glory to God for doing that because we love our friends at Paradise Baptist Church. And can we tell you about the amazing ministry God is doing in and through them in the community of Rainier Beach? Oh my gosh, it's incredible. Glory to God. If we ever make this about ourselves, if we ever make this about the praise of other people or getting a bunch of views on YouTube, we're done. We're done. It won't work. The pursuit of the glory of God is what makes this pursuit uniquely Christian. And I'm not saying Christian have, have all the answers. In fact, we have a lot more garbage to dig through than I think many. If you want to read something very challenging and convicting around the history of the white church and its participation in racism and racist structures, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, it's a gut punch but I would highly recommend reading it. The Color of Compromise illustrates for us just how deeply embedded and oppressive systems the white church has been. And so what do we do with all this? We keep our eyes on pursuing the glory of God. It's hard to do, it feels amorphous, but I'm gonna make suggestions on how to do it practically. When we pursue shalom, we are participating in the glory of God. So God kind of works that out along the way. But how do we do this well? First and always, always, always in the church, we begin with prayer and surrender. We literally open our hands before God. Wherever you are seated, open your hands like this with me. Just say, God, take this work of being a church that cares about healing. Take this work of of addressing our history and our past, which is not so great, but stepping into a future that is great. Pray and surrender daily this work of justice and racial reconciliation. In a moment, uh, we'll, I'll lead us through a prayer that does just that. I would also invite all of you, if you want to join us on Tuesday, we're going to have a time of prayer at 12, 15 p.m. Pacific time. Pray for our nation, pray for our world, and pray for racial healing. This is in advance of the inauguration on Wednesday. This is related to all kinds of things happening in our world, but the people of God are called to pray. So join me. We'll have it here online at 12, 15 p.m. Also, if you'd like to come in person, we'll have a very limited in-person gathering here at Inglewood Press. And if you'd like to come, masks, social distancing, we'll be outside, we'll keep everybody safe. Love to invite all of you to join us for this time where we are gonna pray for our country and for this important work. I found a quote this week from, from the late Representative John Lewis. Representative Lewis said this, when you pray, you move your feet. When you pray, you move your feet. Isn't that great? You are called into action. 
You are being brought in a direction. God is moving us, church. And when we pray together, we are moving our feet. We are taking steps toward becoming a more just and more robust place of ministry. The second thing I want to remind us of as we close is that shalom is a process and all of us have a part to play. I guarantee you, Officer Al Howard did not imagine that he had this incredibly important role to play in the life of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. So do not discount or discredit yourself, church, if you think, I haven't done that much to help with racial justice. I, I have hardly any friends of color. I don't know what to do. Again, I'm speaking predominantly to white Christians. Guys, do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged because your part to play, it may just be that little millimeter that makes a difference and changes the world. Talk with friends, talk with other Christian brothers and sisters, pray together, try to figure out ways to bring this into real life. Join our book club. We've got a book club that has been reading some really wonderful and challenging texts on the work of justice. I'd encourage you to do that. We've got tons of trainings and resources that we'd recommend for you. And then the next practical step that I would really encourage, and we'll get to this in a moment, is to join us for our breakout room discussion here in a minute. I especially want to extend this invitation to our friends at Inglewood. Our breakout rooms have been a life-giving, spirit-transforming part of this time where we've been worshiping online. And it's a chance to interact with brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean everybody agrees. It doesn't mean that there isn't sometimes tension and difficult conversation. That's okay. But I want to encourage you to join a breakout room in a moment when you're prompted to do so, because this is a way for us to dig into this work together. So I'm going to ask our host to put into the chat our discussion questions for our breakout room. One is just kind of a warm up, like, hey, let's get to know each other. But the second one is an opportunity to pray together. There are some prompts for prayer, some questions around this idea of shalom. And I would encourage you just to take a moment. Megan is going to be playing a song for us in a minute, and you can join us in worship by reflecting on these questions, kind of generating your answers before you jump into a breakout room. Give it some thought, consider it, hold it out before the Lord and make this next step of faith for you, engaging in a good discussion, a civil and gracious and robust discussion in our breakout rooms. For those of you that are joining us on Facebook Live, I'm sorry you won't be able to join us in that, but I'd encourage you to find a way to have a conversation with people who are uh, on this journey with you or you would like to be. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to hand it back to Megan. She's going to lead us. I invite you to reflect on those questions. And then uh, after uh, Megan finishes leading us, um, oh, actually, wait, I have to, I'm going to read this prayer for us. Excuse me. Then we're going to jump uh, to Megan leading us. So let me read this prayer. This comes from a member of our staff at Bethany, Taylor Greer. We brought her in to help guide and direct our Ministry of Racial Justice and Reconciliation. She couldn't be here today, and so she uh, wrote this prayer for us. So I invite you to sit and reflect on this prayer with me as we continue in worship. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we have peace with you through Jesus. This is a gift of grace, and we receive it with deep gratitude. We see that your intention for this peace extends beyond our hearts to include relationship with others and with creation. You intend everything to be brought to wholeness and completion through you. That is the work of shalom. And we know that you bring to completion what you've begun. Holy Spirit, give us the endurance to stay in this process of shalom making with you. 
We see your work of peace in our hearts, and we know this is what you are working through us and in us and around us for peace in our families, our communities, our country, and our world. We come to this process in the posture of humility, lament, confession, repentance, longing to turn from anything that keeps us living under false and harmful narratives of power, control, shame, and fear. We want to turn toward your kingdom reign of reconciliation, healing, forgiveness, and peace. Show us and lead us in this daily and active work. Our hope for all these things is embodied in you, Jesus. Thank you that you fulfill the things that we hope for. Forgiveness, peace, reconciliation, life, wisdom, and light. And that our hope is confident expectation because it's grounded in you, in your physical body and in your resurrected life. So Jesus, direct us in the ways of your shalom, peace, justice, wholeness for all creation. We want to seek your true peace and be a part of bringing your peace because you are the way to peace. God, you get the full glory out of this process and we anticipate this with expectation, longing, and joy. And we thank you in advance for the good work that you will do. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.